You're listening to sermon audio from Landmark Christian Fellowship. To find out more about us, please visit lcflandmark.com. Thanks for listening, and we trust that this teaching will grow you in following the way of Jesus. Morning, everyone. Oh, I hope that's it's a bit loud here. Hope it's okay online. Uh, Want to actually give a special um, hello to Lydiane. I know that she's watching this morning, and um, we're just so thankful for technology. And I know that Tanya's with her right now, so. Lydiane, if you're seeing this, we just want to uh, say hello from your church family. We miss you, and we are praying for you. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray to start. Um, I just feel like we need to pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to worship together this morning. I thank you for the way that meeting you in worship invites us into your presence in such a profound and beautiful way. And God, we need that. We need to encounter your presence. And Holy Spirit, we're asking for you to come and to meet us this morning, Pentecost Sunday, and all that that means. We want to encounter you in a new way, in a fresh way, and we want to ask you'd pour out your spirit amongst us this morning. Lord, whether we're here physically or whether we're watching through a screen, Holy Spirit, you are not at all limited by any of that. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to pour your spirit out on your people this morning. Amen. This uh, week has been a horrible week in the United States. I don't think there's any way other than to say that senseless, tragic killing of a man who did not deserve to die um, has sparked all sorts of unrest across the country. There is deep-seated racism that continues to come to the surface in that country, and whatever we may think of what's going on, we see it being played out on the streets of many cities, and Today is Pentecost Sunday, and for a multitude of reasons, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You could go down the list of reasons why we are so desperate for the Holy Spirit right now. We're desperate for a move of God. And so my title this morning is The Promise of the Father, which is from Luke 24, also from Acts 1, and it's Jesus's promise of the coming of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you know, it's, it's a, a good place to start is to say, well, where did Pentecost come from? Because maybe we hear about Pentecost Sunday, but what does that even mean? Where did that come from? What is the biblical understanding of Pentecost? Pentecost is actually the celebration of Shavuot, which is the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. We read of it in Leviticus 23, 15 to 21. It's a feast that happens seven weeks after Passover on the 50th day, hence Pentecost. Pentecost is Greek for 50th. And so when you read of Pentecost Sunday, you're reading of the 50th day after Passover. It's the feast that celebrated the first fruits being given to the Lord. And it also was the celebration that marked the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. So that's what the Jewish people were and are still celebrating to this day. Shavuot is the celebration of God coming and giving his law to his people. 
God's people being brought out of slavery into freedom. That's all part of it. And this is what the giving of the Holy Spirit represents for us as well right now. That God wants to do for us right now. A fresh outpouring of his spirit that brings freedom in our lives. From slavery into freedom. That is what God's heart is for his people. Always has been and is today. This is what Acts 2 speaks of, the early church waiting for the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was coming. Exodus 19 actually speaks of the people at Mount Sinai. They were preparing and purifying themselves there to receive the law from the Lord. They were gathered, and this is what it says in verses 5 and 6 of Exodus 19. And this is what the Lord spoke to Moses to speak to the people. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So this is who God's people were and are called to be. This, if, you, if you're listening to that and you're going, there seems to be echoes of the New Testament in that. Maybe I can't quite place it, but I'm hearing echoes of the New Testament in those verses. Yes, you are. And we're going to get to that because it's so exhilarating and thrilling to see what God has been doing all throughout history and his people. But the, the connection of Pentecost in the Old Testament and the New Testament is not something superficial. It's not something that... Uh, meant something way back then and some far off old feast that just doesn't apply to us now. No, it, it applies incredibly to us now. Because understanding how Jewish people saw it and still do is crucial to understanding what God intends for his people and for his church. Jewish people believe that, that Passover and Shavuot are uniquely connected, that they're uniquely interdependent, which is what Jesus and his disciples, what they understood as well. When Jesus and his disciples were celebrating Passover and Shabbat, they understood all of this. A Jewish rabbi, this is what a Jewish rabbi says today. Linking the two holidays illustrates that freedom is not an end in itself. Think about that. That freedom out of slavery is not an end in itself. So we might say that Jesus' death and resurrection is not an end in itself. Hear me in that. Liberation from Egypt, from sin and bondage, that's what Egypt represents, becomes purposeful only after the Israelites or the church take on responsibility for the Torah at Sinai or receive the gift of the Holy Spirit from the Father. Okay, so let me just read this. This is what the Jewish people say. Liberation from Egypt becomes purposeful only after the Israelites take on the responsibility of the Torah at Sinai. Liberation from sin and bondage becomes purposeful only after the church receives the gift of the Holy Spirit from the Father. We've seen the connections. This is what this Jewish rabbi goes on to say. This may feel counterintuitive in a culture. Right now, this is what they're saying. Where personal freedom is upheld as the highest value. Yeah, we know that. 
Yet Judaism claims that freedom finds its fullest expression in our willing commitment to standards of behavior and action that are not determined by ourselves alone. Think of the seven-week journey from Passover to Shavuot as a time to contemplate the meaning of personal freedom. How do we liberate ourselves from the many idolatries of mind and heart that often confound and confuse us? Our intention is to arrive at Sinai with an open and loving heart, ready to hear the will of the creator of the universe in a new way. I read that and I was like, notice the focus. The focus is it's dependent on us. Judaism says it's dependent on us. We must obey the law because of the idolatry of mind and heart. But what they, they realize we need to attain our freedom. They realize that freedom and liberation is needed. That, that there's a danger of idolatry. There's a desire, even they say, there's a desire to come and meet God in a new way. So the Jewish people themselves are saying, we want to come to Shavuot and meet God in a new way. Yes, coming with an open heart. Do we see how this so connects to what God was doing at Pentecost by sending the Holy Spirit, meeting his people in a new way? So Luke 24, we encounter Jesus. Post-resurrection, pre-ascension, he appeared to his father, followers for 40 days. This is where we're going to camp, where Jesus was. So Luke 24, verses 44 to 49. You can read it with me together this morning. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Like, is there a better promise than that that has ever been given? Just think about that. Those are the words that came out of Jesus' mouth. That was the promise. I'm going to clothe you with power. Wait. It's coming. Like, I read that now and I'm like, I want that. What was the promise of the Father that Jesus is speaking about here? Well, he said in, in John 14, John 15, in two different places, he talked about the sending of the Holy Spirit from the Father. Peter also speaks about this in Acts 2 when he gets up after the Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He gets up and he preaches and he says there that this was the promise of the Holy Spirit received from the Father. 
So Peter knew what was going on. He realized what Jesus had said. He got up. This is this what is happening. This is the promise from the Father. What what does Jesus mean when he speaks about being clothed with power from on high? Luke, he expands on this. Luke wrote the book of Acts as well. And he wrote in Acts 1.5, when Jesus says that this promise is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that they will receive. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. You will be clothed with power. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wait for it. It's coming. So when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit... I want to I respond to some misconceptions that are taught or understood about this. And in some circles, widely taught. That is, that this was a one-time deal for the early church at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out in a specific way. It's never to be again experienced in this way. It goes along with the theology that we receive the indwelling Holy Spirit when we come to receive Christ. Yes, we do. Of course, and, but that's the full measure of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You get that, you come to Christ, you get that, you're done. Yes, of course the Holy Spirit indwells us when we come to Christ. Because it's God's Spirit that's the catalyst from bringing you from death into life. You're going nowhere if you don't have the Holy Spirit bringing you into life. So yes, we receive the Spirit. But that does not mean that there are not subsequent fillings and outpourings of the Holy Spirit that we can experience. This was not the only outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Acts 10 was poured out on Cornelius and his household. You go, well, that was only for, that was because it was for the Gentiles. Okay, well, what about Acts 19? There's another filling of the Holy Spirit at Ephesus, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, go on being filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time deal. A life saturated And experiencing the presence of God, i.e. the Holy Spirit, is presented, please hear me, as normative Christian life in the early church and in the New Testament. It's normative. It's not special. A.W. Tozer wrote this. Oh, He wrote this in 1952. So gripped by this. There is a great modern error which I want to mention. It is that the coming of the Spirit happened once for all, that the individual Christian is not affected by it. This error asserts that the coming of the Holy Spirit is a historic thing, an advance in the dispensational workings of God, but that it is all settled now and we need give no further thought to it. It is all here and we have it all and if we believe in Christ, that is it and there isn't anything more. Tozer goes on to ask some questions then out of that. He says, Is the promise of the Father, with all its intended riches of spiritual grace and power, intended to be for first century Christians only? Did that first church get born again for us? Did the early church get born again for you? Then he asks, They had the fullness of the Spirit. Now they are dead. Does the fact that they were filled mean that works for me? Of course the answer is no. And he goes on to talk about that more. But Jesus never said that this was a one-time deal. He never said that. 
He didn't say that this was just a descriptive part of church history that would only happen once. He never said that. In fact, in John 20, 22, Jesus, before all this, he's meeting with his disciples. He says, he breathed on them, it says, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So why did they need to have this happen in Acts? They already had received the Holy Spirit from Jesus. Why would they need to be filled again at Pentecost? He had already breathed on them. Clearly, Peter also, when he gets up at Pentecost, he doesn't see it as a one-time deal. He never saw this as a one-time deal. He gets up, he begins to preach to this response of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it got a little crazy, folks. Let, let's just... Let's just stop. It got a little crazy. The people around them were going, these people are all drunk. And Peter's like, no, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. It got crazy. It got a little charismatic crazy, actually. What does Peter do? He quotes Joel 2. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, he says. Like, it's not a one-time deal. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's to go on. And I I think that this deals with another misconception that is very much alive in the church today. And I'm grieved by it. And I believe it's hindering the Holy Spirit. That the filling of the Holy Spirit is to only to be to this extent for some. That you don't really need it. It's like if you want it, you order the deluxe package on a vehicle. But you can just get the base model. You don't really need it. And I, no! No! Yes, you need this. I want to highlight something else that Peter wrote in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you, who's you? Us, the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does that sound like? What did we read before? Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. You are his treasured possession. You are a people for his own possession. He says in Exodus, you are to be a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are to walk as children of light, as it says in Ephesians 5, through Christ Jesus. Once you were not a people, now what are you? You're God's people. This has always, always, always been the heart of the Father. Calling his people, filling his people, empowering his people. That's always been the heart of the Father. It's the promise of a father, our father. It is impossible to live for Christ and in the fullness of Christ. Impossible, folks, without the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible. We will end up trying to live moralistic lives. We will end up just trying to be good people. That's what we will do in absence of the Holy Spirit. I'll just try and be good. I'll just try and make it on my own strength and willpower and try to make it and do it and hope that God sees me as acceptable. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. 
That is why we need the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 31-33, speaking prophetically of the new covenant to come. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. 1 Peter 2 is calling us as God's people into our destiny. 1 Peter 2, all of it, is the destiny of God's people. Who you are. This is who you are, Peter says. And he says in verse 3 there in 1 Peter 2, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is about experiencing the presence of God. And being changed. You experience God. You encounter God. You are not the same. Just as the giving of the law was for all of God's people at Mount Sinai, every single one. Was there a single person that was excluded from the giving of the law at Mount Sinai? No. Right? No one was excluded from the law. The pouring out of the Spirit is for all of God's people. Every single one. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Are we stirred when we hear of the promise of the Father? Are we filled with desire and hunger when we hear of the outpouring of the Spirit? Do we read the account of Pentecost and go, we long for that to be our experience right now. We long for, to encounter God in that way. I believe that God is seeking to get our attention in these days. I believe that God is using so many things right now to go, church, please pay attention. I think it's the wooing of a father that longs to see his children live in the fullness of what he's inviting them into. And so when it comes to our lives, how are we doing? Are we desperate to experience God's presence in our lives? Are we hungry for God? What is the spiritual water table like in your life? Are we in need of times of refreshing? Are we in times of need where we need to be saturated right now with the Holy Spirit? Of the outpouring of the Spirit. And I look at my life and I look at what's going on and I go, yes, 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 yes. I was reminded when I was thinking about this, and I'm, I'm still, I'm praying through Psalm 107, believe that God has spoken to me a word out of one, Psalm 107 for myself, for the church. I'm praying that God would make us hungry and thirsty as a people. And I'm, I keep praying it. And I was reminded as I was praying again last night about this, that there's, there's been words, not even one word, multiple words about a stream, a river flowing through Landmark. For years we've had that word. And, and what, I would, what I was convicted by is, Paul, are you praying into that word? Are you praying that this is going to happen? I, I believe that we are in a time of waiting. When Jesus promised 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit and his followers were waiting. There was many all around them. They're in the upper room. They're waiting. They're in Jerusalem. They're waiting. You know what's going on? There's many people all around them. They have no idea what's going on. They have no idea what's coming. They're just living life. They're living life in Jerusalem. They're buying. They're selling. They're trading. They're going through their religious observances. They have no idea what's coming. Life was proceeding as normal in the eyes of many. But God was about to release something incredible. Are you paying attention in these days? Where is the church at in these days? Where are you? Are we comfortable? Are we complacent? Are we disillusioned actually? Is there an aspect where we're actually disillusioned? We need to be honest about that. Or are we expectant? Are we hungry? Are we going, yes, God, I want, I need you, I want to see you move. How much of our reputations are we willing to lose to see God move? Because that speaks to our hunger and desire if I'm willing to actually lose what people might think about me. Amidst the craziness of Pentecost, you think that there's people looking at those people, the 120 going, they're loopy, they're weird, this is bizarre, and I don't want any part of this. We have to be willing to lose what people think about us. And there's so much distraction right now. There's so much distraction in our, in our world and in our midst. All sorts of opportunity to get caught up in a world of chaos and confusion and to go down all these sorts of rabbit holes on any sorts of issues and just, get, just plunge ourselves into the world of online conspiracy and, 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 and we can get consumed by these things and spend hours upon hours. When I read 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, once you were not God's people, now you are God's people. Once you received mercy, now you have received mercy. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You've been called out of darkness into marvelous light. You know what it tells me? Don't get worked up about all that is happening right now. What the government is or isn't doing. We have a much, much, much higher calling as God's people. We are God's People, what if we got off our social media platforms and just began to pray? What if we began to ask the Holy Spirit to make us disillusioned with our complacency? To actually pray that, God, make me disillusioned with my comfort and my complacency. Bring me to an end of myself where I actually can't stand it. In his commentary on Luke, John Stott, he makes the point that movements of spiritual renewal throughout history have been given different names. They appear in places that we don't expect. They express themselves in ways that make us feel uncomfortable. You ever read about that? You read about moves of God and you go, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Or they, they, they kind of fit loose with scriptural norms. Like, I don't know how to make sense of this. 
But he says this, but they call us to a truth that Christians have largely forgotten, that unless the church church possesses the promise of the Father, the miracle working power of the Holy Spirit, it is nothing. Tozer says something similar to this. He says, if the Holy Spirit left the church today, he he said this way, way, like 50 years ago. He said, if the church... If the Holy Spirit leaves the church right now, the church will continue on doing 95% of what it's always been doing and no one will notice. That, that scares me. When we read of the Father's heart for his people in 1 Peter 2 and his expectations for his people, a wonderful, beautiful, thrilling example of what our redemption would mean. When you read that, what, what we read there in First Peter 2, do you read that and go, this is the level of Christianity that we all now enjoy? When, can we be honest? If, we, are we, if we're honest with ourselves, when we read about Acts 2, do we go, yeah, this is what we're experiencing right now? No. Are we comfortable with the current state of spiritual health in the church? Are you comfortable with where you are at in your personal life with Jesus? I, 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 am, not, I am not in any way trying to step on toes. I am not in any way trying to be... Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to just do this for the sake of, of picking a fight in any way but we are, in, we, have, we are in such great need of more of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What marked the waiting of the early church? After Jesus' promise, what is the response of his followers? After this pro- the, the mighty, amazing promise, what, is the, what's, what are the disciples, what do the followers do? Luke 24, 53, it says, they were continually in the temple blessing God. They were engaged in worship. Continually, it says, they were going to worship. Acts 1, 14 says, all those with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They were in worship and they were in prayer. Those are the two things that marked the waiting in the church. The church was cultivating the presence of God amongst them. They were engaged in this together. The worship and the prayer was something they were doing together. This wasn't spiritual pursuit in isolation. It wasn't being done alone. This was about seeking the presence of God together. Now, should we be cultivating this in our individual lives, in our individual homes? Yes, yes. Yes, we have to battle for this. But it was as the church was gathering together that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. It didn't come in isolation. Gathering together specifically around prayer and worship, that is the key for stirring hunger and desire for an outpouring of the Spirit. That's the key. Yes, preaching plays a role, because I might get that question, what role does preaching play? Well, preaching stirs desire and invites us to prepare for presence. 
It's all about the presence of Jesus. That's what preaching does. It leads us. The Word of God is kindling that will ignite the spark of the Holy Spirit. The Word, you put the Word inside of you, the spark of the Holy Spirit coming, it's kindling and it ignites. That's what the Word does. A desire for the Holy Spirit to move within us, to move within our churches and within our communities. This will stir us to times of worship and prayer together. If we want to see God move in ourselves, in our homes, in our church, in our communities, we will be stirred to pray together and we will be stirred to worship together. That is the biblical model for seeking and pursuing the presence of God. God moves in response to the heart cries as his people join together. What did the people do after the the church? What did they do after the outpouring of Pentecost? 3,000 people are added to the church. What do they do? They're gathered together in fellowship and prayer, and daily they're in the temple. Worship. What do they do? They, They prepare with prayer and worship and fellowship. What do they do after? They continue. Fellowship, prayer, worship. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. Listening to the word. What are you willing to sacrifice to join in worship and prayer together? It will be sacrifice in your life. What are you willing to sacrifice? Now, okay, I realize that I'm preaching in the middle of a pandemic. I am preaching about all this in the middle of, we've got 25 people here. And we're maxed out. We want to max out every week, but we're maxed at 25 you, we cannot gather in the large groups that we want to. There's restrictions on the public gatherings. But there's still, right now, there's opportunity for us to gather. How? Well, we gather virtually online every week. We encourage one another. We bless one another. We, we actually make a point of coming together at that time live. Why? Because it blesses one another. We see as people communicate online, I would encourage you, get online, communicate, say, hey, good morning, bless you, welcome. It's a way that we're together. We've got twice weekly we're meeting for prayer. You can get together physically, you can come together 9 p.m. on Zoom on Wednesdays. We want to pray together. Why? Because we want to contend for what God has for us. Are you, or how are you, intentionally and practically fostering desire for more of God's Spirit in your life. How are you doing that? Do you have a vision? This is something that was a question that was posed to me this week that I was really challenged by. Do you have a vision for how your time, your talents, energy, and resources can be used to build God's kingdom in this moment? Right now. What is your kingdom vision? Like rather than your personal vision, we, we all, every single person has a personal vision. Vision, intention, means. We all do that in our lives. What is your kingdom vision? As a follower of Jesus, how will you use your time, your talents, your resources to build the body, to build God's kingdom? And how are we going to be equipped and ready to come out of this time? That's a big question I'm asking. As we come out and we move out, and there's, there's various phases, how is the church going to be prepared to 
really reach out. What would define this power that would be poured out upon God's people? I kind of got ahead of myself here. What would define it? This baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we see it both in Luke 24, Acts 1. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Luke 24, 47, Jesus said, Repentance and the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. The purpose and the result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the intent of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Was, it was crazy. It got crazy. It was a little bit like outside the box. That wasn't the intent. That wasn't, that wasn't the, it didn't stop there. The intent was mission. The intent was witness. The gospel going forth, people coming to follow Jesus. We as God's people living with kingdom vision and kingdom purpose. That is still the call for God's people, that we would live with kingdom vision, kingdom purpose in our lives. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it, it was. It was it was loud, it was public, it was crazy. It resulted in three thousand people. That's a lot of people at that time in Jerusalem. Three thousand people coming, being added to the church. But it was missional. Everything that went on there was missional to the core. The desire of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Father, lead people to the truth found in Jesus. That is the role, that's the goal, that's the aim, the desire of the Holy Spirit. That is what He wants to do. We don't have to separate presence from mission. We don't want to separate seeking presence from mission. We don't have to and we don't want to. Because they serve one another. Presence serves mission. Encountering the presence of God together, encountering the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit in ours, it is meant to lead us to be missional people. I was thinking about this just this morning as, as we were worshiping. I thought, what will, it was a thought, it was actually the thought the Holy Spirit put in me. What will lead me to really want to reach out to my neighbors in ways that's going to make me feel uncomfortable and really lead me to places that are going to make me feel like, do I really want to do this? I.e., let's say I'm having a conversation with a neighbor and the opportunity comes up to encourage him. Can I pray for you? Hey, I just, I want to share what God has done in my life. What is going to, in those moments, what is going to lead me to step out and to do that? Radical love in me for those people that is born out of experiencing the Holy Spirit in my life and having him active and working in my life. That is what is going to do it. If I don't have that, I won't do it. I won't. I will shrink back. I'll use excuses. Whatever. I won't do it. It's radical love that is born out of encountering the Holy Spirit in my life. I just can't keep it in. And I... Okay, I'm saying this. I need this. Like, I need this. 
I want to end this morning. I want to share a story from the Hebrides Revival. I've been reading a lot about the Hebrides Revival lately. And I am. Oh, it's amazing. It's accounts that seem hard to believe, actually, when you're reading them. Like, Did that really happen? And yet we must believe it because it challenges so many things that we think we are led to believe that the, what we're experiencing now in the church, that this is normal. We've been led to experience, we've been led to believe that the low water level of the Holy Spirit that we've been experiencing is normal. And it's not. It's not meant to be normal. A.W. Tozer, he said, the spirit-filled life might be unusual, but it is not abnormal. So the Hebrides Revival began in 1949, not that long ago. Happened on the Isle of Lewis in the Hebrides region in Scotland in a village of Barvis. You know how it began? There was a lack of hunger, spiritual complacency that permeated the region. And two women aged 84 and 82, they got, received a vision from the Lord. The Lord gave them a vision. Yes, he speaks in visions. And he said, I want you to pray for your region, for your town, for your parish. And they began to pray. They began to be stirred. Two women. That's it. 84 and 82. After a little bit, they felt led to go to the leader of their parish. And they said, they, they told him what had happened. He was, he was gripped by it. The leaders of the church came around. They began to pray. They began to pray for months that God would move. That's it. They began to pray together. Pray together. And then, all of a sudden, after praying for, together, I don't know exactly, they don't, there's a, not sure exactly how long, but months, the power of God swept into the community in a radical, unexpected, profound way. It says, they, they, when I was reading, they said that the people that were like going with their daily lives and they stopped because they were gripped by the things of eternity and eternal realities and they could not work because they were gripped by the presence of God. So they, they, they led, God led them to a man by the name of Duncan Campbell who came um, from Edinburgh. He came and, and didn't even expect to be there more than 10 days and just expected to preach and went on for more than three years. But at the end of the very first meeting, that very first night when he came there, this, they, they, Duncan Campbell said they had, a, they had a good meeting. He says, I preached a good word, but you know it was good? <laughs> you know, typical, but, but it wasn't. He said, yeah, it was a good meeting, and, that, and then it ended. And, and as they were leaving, filing out this 24-year-old deacon in the church who had been part of the prayer team, he got down on his knees and he cried out and he says, God, you can't fail us. God, you can't fail us. You promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. God, you can't fail us. The word they had gotten was out of Isaiah 44.3. Just one verse. That was the promise that the women had gotten that led them to pray. And as the deacon did that, something broke in the church. Duncan Campbell says he went to the door of the church. This is at like 11 o'clock at night. And he saw a congregation. They had no idea where they came from. 600 people standing outside the door going, we need God. 600 people. He says, 
where had they come from? What had happened? I believe that that very night God swept in Pentecostal power, the power of the Holy Ghost, and what happened in the early days of the apostles was happening now in the parish of Barvas. That's Duncan Campbell's testimony. This is, he goes on to say this. He says, I hope you believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost as a distinct experience. You may disagree, but I believe in it. I believe that the baptism of the Holy Ghost in its final analysis is just the revelation of Jesus. It is Jesus becoming real, wonderful, powerful, and dynamic in my life. And he expressing himself through my personality. That is the baptism of the Holy Ghost that I believe in. There's, I mean, you can go read about Hebrides, the Hebrides revival. There's lots, so many amazing stories of God meeting people, like going about normal lives. Like it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like mass preaching revivals, tent revivals. It was God sweeping in power into a region where people are going about their daily lives, daily lives in Landmark, in Blumenort, in Mitchell, in Lorette, in Steinbach, gripped by eternal realities and gripped by the Spirit of God and gripped to come in repentance. That was what was happening. It wasn't because of program or expertise. It was prayer. Are you longing and desiring for Jesus to become increasingly real, wonderful, and powerful and dynamic in your life? Are you gripped by that? This moment that we find ourselves in right now, are you preparing your heart in this time that we might find ourselves longing and seeking after and experiencing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? One Sunday can be a catalyst to lead us to go, yes, I am going to start to pray and pursue God in a new way. There can be that, that's what today can be. It can be the catalyst to go, God, we want more, we need more, and we are going to pray that you move in power. We don't know what God will do. That's, God is sovereign, and God will move in his own time. We may be preparing the soil for the, another generation. We desperately need to do that. So I want to end this morning. I just want to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to grip us. I want to pray that the realities of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would become, would come for us. Holy Spirit, we just receive you now. We welcome you here. We want to know you. We want to long for you. We want to ask you that you would fill our hearts with such a deep longing to experience you. God, that you would lead us to prayer and to worship, that you would lead us into that place of being gripped by eternal realities. God, I believe that what you did on the island of Lewis and the Hebrides that you can do today. God, I believe that that's your heart. Your heart is for as your people seek your face as we repent. Lord, as we become desperate, as we seek your face, you long to move in our midst. 
Holy Spirit, we just want to welcome you and receive you now. And if you find yourself right now going, I need more of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life, then invite him. It's as simple as that. This is nothing complicated. This is nothing like high-level, deluxe, packaged Christianity. It's simply saying, Holy Spirit, I need you more, and I'm asking for you to come and fill my life. I'm asking for you to pour yourself out in my life. If you want the promise of the Father, then ask for it. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Say we're desperate. We don't want to just seek your hand. We want to seek your face. We want to seek your face, God, above all else. we want to pray in faith and in faith that believes you for the impossible in these days. That you would prepare your church, Lord, that you would prepare our church, that you'd prepare LCF, Lord, to be reaching out and for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these days like we have not experienced before. Lord, the DNA that is in this church, the DNA that has been in this church since its founding, a desire for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and for more of the Holy Spirit, we say yes and we say amen to that. And we ask that you would make us missional to the core of our beings. God, that we would not be about just experience for ourselves. God, save us from that. Make us missional to the core, that as a people, we would be missional. We would be unafraid, that we would be seeking to reach out with the love of Christ in ways that go, I, we invite people to experience God. And God, we want to experience you. We need to experience you, God. We cannot do this without you. We do not want to just be good, moralistic people. We want to be people that are alive and filled with the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us up. Raise our expectations. God, we're asking for you to pour out your living water in us. Raise the water level. Raise the water level, Jesus. Where there's parched, dry ground where we feel like we're in a wilderness, pour out your spirit, God. There's nothing better than experiencing your presence. Nothing, nothing, nothing nothing. Come Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to sermon audio from Landmark Christian Fellowship. We hope that this material served to help you grow in following the way of Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit lcflandmark.com.